the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If this is the first time you've heard the show, hey, welcome aboard. And the show is usually in a couple of parts. Today we're going to talk mostly about history. And the reason for that, this is the bicentennial of General President Grant's birth. So we're celebrating his 200th anniversary of his birth. And we're going to be talking to Frank Scaturo from the Grant Monument Association about really one of the true remarkable men of the 19th century. And and I know, you know, it, 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 his reputation has been revised upward over the years, both as a general and as a president. Uh, but I still know probably some of you guys that went to school when I went to school think, hey, Grant was a mediocre president. His administration had a lot of scandals, but none of those scandals actually touched him. And he was just, uh, he wasn't that great a general. It's just Robert E. Lee got tired of running around and was defeated by overwhelming numbers. So we're going to talk about President Grant, General Grant, and there are a lot of accomplishments that he's really one of the truly remarkable people of the 19th century. Um, Ordinarily, we take some questions about estate planning and elder law, but because of the format today, we're we're not going to be doing that. But if you have any questions about estate planning and elder law, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. You know, as a personal note, again, uh, I, I was saddened to hear about the, the death of Don Maynard. Don Maynard was on the show a few couple of years ago, I guess. And for those of you who don't follow football or don't know, or younger people don't know, Don Maynard was the star of the Jets in, in the late 60s going into the 70s. And he was a truly great receiver. When he retired, he had more receptions than any other receiver. He had more yards than any other receiver. He was the first NFL receiver to break 10,000 yards receiving. And, of course, you got to remember the, the records in those days, when Don Maynard first started playing professional football, there were only 12 games in the season. Now, of course, we're up to about 17 games. So you really can't compare some of the receiving records from today to back then. And, of course, they, they didn't throw the ball. I think they, th- they throw the ball now 
more often, but they don't have as many receiving yards because there were more deep balls thrown back then. And one of the reasons with the Jets, Don and Maynard was, you know, he didn't look like he was the fastest guy because he had long loping strides. But I, I heard on an interview that he thought he was the fastest player on the field. And we did have a conversation with him. And I asked him pretty much the same question when he was on the show a couple of years ago. So from the archives, here's Dad with Don Maynard. And you were out in the open by yourself. So thank you for those well, memories. Somebody said one said, how fast were you? I said, well, I was scared fast. <laughs> I, I I never was caught from behind, and that 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 helps when they put put the score up on the board. <laughs> Don Maynard, thank you. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Have a great year. Rest in peace, Don Maynard. And, and by the way, if any of you want to hear the interview that we did with Don Maynard, we can find that on YouTube. Uh, just go Don Maynard Connors Corner YouTube. And we have the the conversation with Don Maynard, and in full, yeah. And I mean, he was a remarkable player. And where's he from? He was from West Texas. I'm not sure exactly where. And of course, I remember one of the things Pete Lamons, who regrettably died of an accident earlier this year, uh, who was also on the Super Bowl Jets team. Um, he told us when he did the interview that there were ten Texans on the. Super Bowl Jets, yeah. And he said if they got more Texans, maybe they would have won another Super Bowl. But, <laughs> but that's and back then the rosters were a lot smaller too. So, um, you know, ten ten players on a roster that was a quarter of the team. Twenty five percent of the team was from uh, Texas, and there were a couple of guys from Alabama. Joe Namath, of course, the primary one, and Phil Crane, the the linebacker, the substitute linebacker. Was Very from, southern team for New York. Yeah, well. <laughs> You know, probably even today, if you took a, a statistics, a lot of those guys are from, you know, the South or um, Southern teams because, you know, you don't have big football programs in the Northeast to speak of. Yes, in the Middle West you do, but in the Northeast you, you don't really have, like, big football programs like you do in Texas, let alone high school programs. Right. You know, high school football is, uh, you know. Nil. Yeah, but, I mean, in – down in, south, it's great. Down south, it's, uh, I mean, when I, obviously I'm from Texas, my voice. Thursday night it was the junior high school. Friday night it was high school. Saturday it was the colleges, and then Sunday it was the pros. The pros are kind of trampling on people these days. Okay, well, in any event, we got to take a short break in a minute. But when we come back, we're going to be talking to Frank Scaturo of the Grant Monument Association. And Frank Scaturo did a remarkable job bringing back the Grant Monument over the years which that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about U.S. US grants, the monument. We're talking about the, the man himself, the president and the general, and Frank is probably one of the best experts on General Grant, President Grant. So we'll take a short break, and we'll be talking to Frank Scaturo. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? 
These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Our next guest is Frank Scaturo, a historian, among other things. But we're going to be talking about, it's the 200th anniversary of the birth of U.S. Grant, one of the greatest Americans of all time. And and I know some people don't really believe that, but Frank, what's your assessment of, of Ulysses Grant? Well, I think he is... 
perhaps the most uh, underappreciated uh, figure uh, of, among American leaders in all of our history, uh, someone who, although he, of course, is well remembered for his role as the principal author of Union Victory during the Civil War, um, he is uh, a, someone who in his time was regarded as the equal of Washington and Lincoln, and over the last century plus following his death, his reputation had taken a nosedive, especially politically, only to experience something of a renaissance in recent years. But uh, the word has got up among scholars and among uh, a number of students of history of the Civil War Reconstruction period, but I think the word needs to spread a little wide, a wide or a little more widely as to why uh, Grant was important, not only for his role as principal author of uh, Union Victory, but also for uh, his work as president to uh, help secure a new era of peace and equality for all Americans, regardless of race. You know, and I, and I think that's a good point. I, I don't think many people today realize that how much involvement Grant had in, in smashing the Ku Klux Klan of that time. Right. He, uh, in 1871, uh, he secured what was known as the Ku Klux Klan Act. It was one of five enforcement acts that were passed through his efforts to enforce the recently ratified 14th and 15th Amendments to the Constitution, which respectively protect, among other things, the equal protection of the laws, and in the case of the 15th Amendment, bans racial discrimination in voting. And he took really strong measures to uh, crush the Klan. He actually suspended habeas corpus pursuant to this 1871 statute in nine South Carolina counties in October of 1871, and followed that up with a really stringent prosecution. The Klan that we have today is of 20th century vintage, uh, founded around 1915 or so, but the 19th century Klan was really crushed by Grant's efforts, even though, of course, there was tragically uh, a continuing resistance to Reconstruction that took other forms afterwards. You know, maybe you know the answer to this question now, but it's just speculation. Did the movie Birth of a Nation have anything to do with the rebirth of the Klan? I think it reflected, that's a very good question, uh, because they coincided exactly with you know, 1915. And of course, Birth of the Nation was based on uh, a novel, uh, the title of which I think was The Klansman. It was a very direct glorification of the Klan that uh, motivated that movie. And... I don't know where, which was cause, which was effect, but both phenomena, uh, the release of that movie and the rebirth of the Klan, I think, came at that moment uh, in which the Jim Crow system of disfranchisement and systematized uh, systematic uh, inequality that was compelled by law had really fully taken root and the former Confederate states, you know, in the South. Uh, and, and so that, that period, you know, from eight, the 1890s to the 1910s or 20s, uh, some would say uh, it was the nadir for uh, African-Americans uh, post 
education. Now, you know, before we got on the air, we we're talking a little bit about the the election crisis of 1876. Uh, can you give the the audience a little bit of background? Because, you know, right now, sometimes, you know, people are talking about election crises in, in the last few elections. Well, you know, a lot of Democrats didn't accept Trump. A lot of Republicans didn't accept Biden. But what was the story back in 1876? Right, in 1876, the country faced an electoral crisis that I think was more severe than any other in history, with the obvious exception of 1860 to 61, which, of course, quite literally triggered a uh, civil war. In 1876, the country was in the throes of, among other things, a bitter dispute over Reconstruction. Uh, There was this steady resistance to these newly uh, granted constitutional rights. There were Reconstruction governments in the South. You actually had about 2,000 African-American office holders who uh, occupied various positions, whether elective or appointed, uh, during the Reconstruction period. And in several of these southern states, the resistance to the Republicans, which took the form of intimidation, fraud, and violence, Uh, was especially pronounced where Republicans, supported by uh, many votes of former slaves, were uh, were in power, where they were constantly endangered, and they relied on federal troops to sustain them. Well, the contest was between Republican Rutherford B. Hayes, governor of Ohio, and Democrat Samuel Tilden, governor of New York, And it really came down to the wire. Um, The dispute that arose uh, came from the submission or the purported submission of two sets of electoral votes from three of the southern states, uh, South Carolina, uh, Florida, and Louisiana. Uh, All three of those states had officials who had submitted uh, returns competing returns saying that either Hayes or Tilden won. And this was an unprecedented crisis. The country had never experienced something quite like this. There was a question, well, what do you do? Well, Grant, uh, of course, is in the White House. This is the last election over which he presides. He really adeptly navigates this crisis by garnering support for the creation of an electoral commission. Now, this was a commission that Congress created. It was just uh, put in place to deal with this specific uh, dispute, and it consisted of members of both houses of Congress and members of the Supreme Court uh, that would decide, well, which of these electoral votes should be uh, accepted, which should be uh, rejected. And throughout this process from 76 until 77, Grant remains impartial. He remains neutral. He doesn't touch the troops that are there sustaining uh, the governments in Louisiana and South Carolina. In Florida, there's a somewhat different situation because the state Supreme Court wound up giving the state elections to uh, the Democrats. But as the country is approaching the March 4th inauguration date, 
there are all of these threats that are brewing of violence. And there are some who are comparing this to 1860. It's a scary thing. Now, Grant not only stays neutral when it comes to the Electoral Commission's uh, negotiations uh, and deliberations, but he quietly during this period strengthens forces uh, around Washington to make sure there's not going to be any armed uh, resistance to uh, the processing of uh, the electoral votes. And he makes it clear that disrespect for the law is not going to be tolerated. And even though he clearly, as a staunch Republican, hoped that Hayes would win the presidency, it was Grant's firmness, his respect for the law, his firm leadership, and also his astute leadership, because he was neutral to the extent that he needed to be neutral to have this process play out, that really ensured a, success, a peaceful and successful presidential transition. Um, now, there's what's become something of a, a legend uh, is that the Electoral Commission had this 11th hour compromise that they reached uh, where uh, we'll accept Hayes as president uh, in exchange for the withdrawal of troops uh, in the South. Um, that's not really accurate. Uh, at the time, there were some 11th hour negotiations taking place at the Wormley Hotel between supporters of Hayes and supporters of Tilden. The Electoral Commission's decision was already a, a done deal. They already made it clear that Hayes had won all three of those states. They reached that decision by just uh, putting the most weight on the official uh, returning boards that were validated by the executive branch in all of those uh, states. And Southern Democrats who wanted to see the troops withdrawn really didn't have any uh, uh, the power to uh, uh, to do that. They didn't have any leverage that they could exert to get their way. However, Hayes had already decided, frankly, the political reality at that time rendered the use of the military in the South as so controversial. And it was something that, of course, would be denounced for generations. And Reconstruction was denounced and Grant was denounced there was a broader political reality that those troops were not going to be able to stay sustaining Republican governments in the South. And surely uh, a little over a month into Hayes' presidency, he does withdraw the troops. That is often seen as the collapse of Reconstruction because those Republican regimes in those states then, uh, then fell. Uh, although the, the reality about what happened to the principles of Reconstruction and rights for the uh, newly freed slaves is a bit more gradual, or the story is a bit more complex. It really takes another generation, because the uh, presidents, especially the Republican presidents in the 16 years between Hayes and Benjamin Harrison, do try to, they try different things, even though they never find uh, the level of success that Grant did, to try to salvage some form of biracial democracy in the South, it doesn't quite uh, take. And then starting the 1890s, there's a full-blown retreat. There's when you have Grover Cleveland during his uh, second term in a Democratic Congress, they repeal most of the Enforcement Acts of the early 1870s. 
And then you have that nadir, that period that I uh, referred to that we discussed uh, previously between the 1890s and, and 1910s, when a thorough disfranchisement of African-Americans takes place in the South. Now, I'm going to change the subject a little bit, but um, th there's legislation pending in Congress about General Grant's rank. Can you, can you explain that one, too? Sure. Uh, we have uh, been, well, when I say we, the Grant Monument Association and some other uh, friendly groups to the cause of uh, education on Grant's legacy have been working with uh, members of Congress to uh, have introduced legislation that would authorize and request the posthumous promotion of Grant to the Army's highest rank of general of the armies of the United States. This was an honor that was given to George Washington in 1976 for the nation's bicentennial. And we think that with Grant's 200th birthday coming this year, it's only appropriate that a similar honor be given to Grant since he is uh, arguably the greatest captain, you know, the greatest military leader that America had ever produced in its history. Um, this is a rank that actually, it, it outranks the five-star general. Um, the legislation itself is now pending in the House as H.J. Res. 58, and it's pending in the Senate as S.J. Res. 26. Uh, there are bipartisan co-sponsors of this legislation in both houses, but the principal sponsors are uh, Congresswoman Ann Wagner, who represents Grant's home in the St. Louis area uh, on the House side, and then on the Senate side, uh, Senator Roy Blunt. Uh, so those pieces of legislation are pending, and we are urging concerned citizens to write their members of Congress, members of the House, and members of uh, the Senate to co-sponsor these bills and ask that they support their, their passage. The way uh, military promotions occur, of course, Congress can only create positions. The president has to actually make the appointments, even when we're looking at them uh, posthumously. Uh, but so the, you know, the process begins with uh, Congress, and it would have to uh, culminate with uh, President Biden actually conferring this uh, commission. But we're hoping that this is done by April 27th, because we think it would be a really fitting way to recognize Grant's importance uh, in our history. Now, I know some of the audience are sitting back there, especially those who were educated in the, the 50s and the 60s and early 70s, and they're saying, wait a minute, what are you talking about that Grant's a great general? You know, just didn't he have overwhelming numbers, and that was the reason why he won the war? Well, that was the, uh, the longstanding sort of myth of the lost cause conception of history uh, viewed Union victory as the result of uh, overwhelming odds when it came to uh, numbers and other resources. And I think that notion has been pretty thoroughly rebutted by a number of uh, historians. Uh, Grant wound up doing what he did uh, with sometimes, uh, if you look at his campaign starting in the Western Theater, uh, nothing like the numerical superiority that conventional military wisdom will tell us would be necessary to win if you're on the offense and, of course, the other side is on the defense. 
in in the Western theater, Grant often operated with roughly equal numbers of troops or or far less than the two to one ratio that you would want to be able to uh, win an offensive campaign. At one point during the Vicksburg campaign, he cuts himself off from his uh, supply base and goes in with inferior numbers, even though he's later uh, reinforced uh, before you know, embarking on this brilliant uh, set of maneuvers that leads to the fall of Vicksburg, which was seen as a virtually impregnable fortress. Its capture enables the, the, the division of the South in two by uh, giving the Union control of uh, the Mississippi River once another installation down the river was taken soon after Vicksburg. So by the time Grant was brought east, he had won a good number of remarkable victories, uh, and again, not with uh, the sort of numerical superiority that we expect for the uh, offensive uh, forces. And when he came to face Lee, there had been one Union commander after another, about six of them who had their chance to secure some sort of decisive victory in the East. And several of them had a similar numerical uh, advantage, even more of an advantage uh, in some cases than, than Grant had, but none of them could even come close to the success that Grant had against Lee. Uh, and again, when he faced Lee, the, the ratio was actually a bit less than two to one uh, in terms of numerical advantage, and that would change over the course of uh, the Overland campaign between uh, May and June of 1864 and then the 10-month Petersburg campaign that, that followed that. Uh, but Lee uh, actually lost more of his troops by a percentage, you know, by, by ratio of his uh, total force. And interestingly enough, he's traditionally at least not derided uh, as being a butcher or someone who wantonly sacrifices his men or, or anything like that. And Lee's mistake at Gettysburg with Pickett's charge was far more costly than Grant's worst mistake, which came at Cold Harbor. Um, Lee's mistake uh, led to defeat in this enormous battle. And in Grant's case, Cold Harbor, he follows up by changing his tactics uh, pushing a brilliant maneuver across the uh, James River, uh, an engineering feat uh, uh, that consisted of building a, a pontoon bridge uh, over the river in a span of about eight hours. And in campaign after campaign, Grant is doing what no other commander could. I mean, he, he really, he's not someone who starts out anywhere near the top uh, of uh, Union generals who, who have a chance to fight this war. He's something like, I think, 35th from the top uh, in, in his rank as a general in the summer of 1861. And if this war was so inevitable, if it was such an easy thing uh, for, the, it was, you know, for the Union to uh, win it, why did one commander after another keep failing? And then why would a grant have come along and be able to conquer the span of territory that in other contexts will give a military commander a you know, world-renowned uh, you know, reputation to be remembered you know, centuries after they're gone in the history books. And of course, subsequent experience 
uh, in American history uh, makes clear that victory in the Civil War was not inevitable. And all you have to do is look at conflicts uh, from Vietnam to Afghanistan to see how having really overwhelming superiority in numbers and resources does not guarantee victory. Grant faced a foe uh, with far less of an advantage than America had in those conflicts, and you saw how difficult it was to to see success uh, in in those cases. And I think that added perspective uh, makes it even more remarkable that Grant uh, would have achieved what he did as a commander, and it makes it even less uh, plausible, you know, this thesis that uh, Union victory was inevitable or that it was, you know, something that uh, was going to happen because of uh, superiority in numbers. All right, so this is the year of the bicentennial of Grant's birth. What events are going on for, for this year, and what's the Grant Monument Association? What, what are you guys doing? So the Grant Monument Association, on Grant's actual birthday, April 27th, we will be hosting a dinner at the Union League Club in New York. The uh, uh, main uh, show, so to speak, after dinner will be a colloquy hosted by General Petraeus, where he'll be interviewing two very distinguished grant biographers, uh, Ron Chernow and Ron White, both of whom had best-selling biographies of Grant in uh, recent years. Um, Earlier that day, the uh, National Park Service is going to be uh, having their official ceremony with West Point. Uh, I understand West Point is going to do something special this year. West Point celebrates Grant's birthday at his tomb every year, but Uh, They're going to have an enhanced uh, format for their uh, ceremony because it's his 200th. We are also hoping, although this is not firmed up yet, we're just in the early uh, stages, but we're hoping that there will be a parade, whether it's on Grant's actual birthday, which falls on a Wednesday or maybe on a weekend day, uh, you know, near that uh, date. And there will be other events still in the planning process uh, to be announced uh, during that week, because the Park Service is going to have uh, the site open all week, and they are going to have a number of activities and, and events set up in connection with uh, that. One thing uh, which might or might not uh, happen by then, there's a documentary about Grant and Grant's tomb that is going to be released uh, this year. And that'll perhaps be part of that, those uh, late April uh, events. Now, the first event, to take this a little bit out of chronological order, I should mention the Ulysses S. Grant Association, uh, which is not to be confused with the Grant Monument Association. Um, the, the USGA is uh, an organization that uh, published Grant's papers. It's devoted to scholarly aspect of Ulysses S. Grant. And in recent years, they opened up the Ulysses S. Grant Presidential Library at Mississippi State University. They are going to be having at the Presidential Library the first of the Grant Bicentennial events. Uh, March 4th will be the main event, although the meeting is going to go from March 3rd to uh, March 5th. There will be a good number of top Grant scholars in attendance who will be Uh, giving presentations. 
And I know that other grant sites will be doing events over the course uh, of the year. Uh, the Cottage Where He Died, uh, the Adirondacks group connected with that is going to be uh, having an event. I think that's going to be in June, but I'm not sure that that's firmed up. Uh, the Grant uh, Boyhood Home in Georgetown, Ohio, they're going to be having monthly events, I believe, starting in April, and then there will be a new program uh, for several months after then. Uh, St. Louis is going to be doing uh, some special programming. There's a Ulysses S. Grant uh, symposium that will take place uh, July 23rd on the anniversary of his death. Uh, that date will also include a special uh, commemoration at Grant's tomb in which West Point will be participating. And then uh, later in the year, the Grant Monument Association, to get back to our own uh, group that is dedicated to uh, Grant's tomb and to other commemorative uh, activities, we're in the process of securing a marker, a bronze marker, to put up at the site of Grant's Summer White House in Long Branch, New Jersey, where Grant spent a total of, of more than one year uh, of his life, including the presidency. Uh, but a lot of important time uh, at that spot on the Jersey Shore and a cottage that unfortunately was destroyed in the 1960s, and there's nothing to mark uh, that location. And we'd like to use the bicentennial as an occasion to rectify that. So at some point, probably late summer, but we haven't set the date, we will have the dedication of this new marker at Grant's uh, Summer White House. So those are some of the highlights and again these are still these programs are still being developed so there is more that will be taking place um, the Ulysses S Grant Association has a website usgrantbicentennial.info that they recently launched and as events are firmed up they're going to be putting events on that website uh, there's not terribly much there right now it's mostly the presidential library events uh, details that are there and then how you can uh, uh, register and how you can join that. Um, but we expect that uh, over time, uh, the events at other sites are going to be uh, populating that website. And of course, our own Grant Monument Association will be trying to keep people informed as best we could about these various events. All right. Now, what? where can we find out more about the Grant Monument Association? So our website, Grant org. Uh, we ha you can learn the history of the site. We do have our own events uh, are, are cataloged there. And there's also information about this posthumous promotion bill, the Grant Bicentennial Recognition Act. And you can find the bill numbers there, the bill text, and how you can write your congressman uh, in support. Now, today's current generation i don't know who would have an objection to giving grant promotion but do you see any opposition at all or is it just getting people involved yeah i, I don't see any uh, opposition to something like that i mean you have with the statue toppling craze in 2020 which i thought was just a, a horrendous thing when you saw what people were doing to you know statues of, of the founders and to people you know, including heroes of the Civil War and, of course, Grant himself. I think uh, those who toppled the Grant uh, monument in 
San Francisco's uh, Golden Gate Park look quite foolish and we're not reflecting any sort of broad sense that Grant does not deserve to be honored. If anything, he looks better and better as time uh, goes by. So uh, I don't think there will be any opposition at all to this notion. As he suggested, the real challenge is getting people motivated to just do this, make this an agenda, put it on the calendar, get this through committee. It's in the Armed Services Committee in the House and the Senate Judiciary Committee on the Senate side. Uh, you know, get it through committee, get it passed. It's just a matter of making it a priority. But it's the sort of thing that I expect if it got to the floor of either chamber, it would pass unanimously, perhaps by a, a voice vote. All right. Well, Frank, thank you very much for, you know, educating us about General President Grant. Good luck on your events on the Bicentennial. And, and you know, a lot of people say, well, what difference does it make what Grant accomplished? You know, he was born 200 years ago. He's, you know, he, he's gone, you know, almost 150 years now. Why should why should we be studying U.S. Grant? I think to appreciate the American experiment in government requires civic education that identifies its pillars, whether those pillars are part of the Constitution's framework or milestones that advance freedom, equality, peace, prosperity, or human dignity generally. Now, if educators fail to identify the pillars, don't expect them to continue to prop up the American edifice, right? right? The advancement of principles requires human agency. I mean, first and foremost, it's done by the people, but it's also dependent on leaders. It's important to get the lessons of leadership straight, and the recognition of particular figures deserving distinction. However imperfect the best of them were, all of this reflects a society's judgment of its values. So what does it mean to deny this recognition to someone like Grant? Uh, well, the answer sadly played out in the years of Jim Crow and in, in the years when what the Civil War had initially achieved in the form of the Reconstruction Amendments was disregarded. If you want to preserve what we have, if you want to be even invested in the uh, American experiment, you need to know the sacrifice that took place before us, uh, what they achieved, and, and try to identify uh, the best of uh, uh, America, uh, you know, uh, uh, the best of you know the the best of America's foundations because if you don't serve to preserve them, you can't be sure that you will keep them. Well said, Frank. Thank you for being in Connor's Corner. Thanks so much for having me. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? 
These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. And, you know, one of the things 
Frank, we Frank Scatura, we didn't plug his book at all. Michael, what's the name of his book? And yeah, Mr. Scatura wrote a book called President Grant Reconsidered. It's um, you know, it's one of those things. It's a dense little book, but it really does cover in depth a lot of the things that happened during Grant's presidency. And there are a lot of people, and I'll include myself in this before. You know, I, I never thought he was a bad president, but I just thought, oh well, it was kind of a you know middle-of-the-road presidency versus uh, an absolutely stellar generalship. Well, the more you read into it, the more you kind of realize that might have been an extraordinary presidency, too. It's just there's a lot of historiography stacked up against him, just like there used to be in terms of his generalship. And very few people lay it out as plainly and as concisely and as in as much detail as Mr. Scaturo does in President Grant Reconsidered. So plug for his book over there. Okay, now... um. We're going to end today, you know, in in honor of President Grant with the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And, Beth, can you say a little bit about who, who's on that? Well, Michael looked up and has chosen the Fred Waring um, version. And um, while you're, when you listen to it, you'll hear uh, there's a wonderful baritone solo. And it's done by a man that I was on tour with, Leonard Cronendonk. And he was President Eisenhower's favorite singer. So I hope you enjoy the Fred Waring presentation with Leonard Cronendonk. Before we leave, you know, one last housekeeping note, so to speak. We're going to close with the Battle Hymn of the Republic. But, Michael, where can you get our estate planning seminar on YouTube. If you want to get our estate planning seminar on YouTube, just go to youtube.com, which I imagine most of us are familiar with by now, and search Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. That's Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. Connors, of course, spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. Dad should be the first person you see there. It'll be a nice long video, and it should tell you everything you want to know in a lead-up to possibly getting a consultation with us. And now, without further ado... Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians with the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Oh. 
Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.